This is Radio Maria England, and this is Women Together. Welcome to Women Together. This is uh, Genevieve Wedgbury and I'm joined by Di Redmond. Good morning. And it is Thursday the 3rd of June. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. Di, how, how are you today? I'm fine. Um, it's cooler, um, but it was so, and is so wonderful having warm weather and summer clothes and just good, really oh, good. Isn't it just? It really, really does put a, a spring in your step. It's been such a long time in coming. Personally, I think that we need to have at least three months of unbroken sunshine um, to sort of justify the misery, the, the deluge that we had in uh, May, which was uh, of biblical proportions. OK, I am exaggerating a little bit, but uh, yeah, we need unbroken sunshine for at least the next three months. So prayers, prayers for that, please, would be would be good good for the garden as well. Um, so what have you been up to? Well, actually, last week uh, was very exciting because uh, my 40th birthday took place during lockdown. So it was the 23rd of March, which actually was the date uh, lockdown began in 2020. Oh, yes, yes. So I had my 39th birthday in lockdown. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm sure, you know, we'll be out of lockdown for my for my 40th. But sadly, that wasn't the case. Um, and then, of course, I was in lockdown again for my 40th this year. But my husband had booked us to go away to somewhere in North Yorkshire, just on the edge of the Dales called Grantley Hall, which was a belated 40th birthday present. And nice. we just went for a couple nice. of nights. And it was absolutely just in terms of R&R. &R, I mean, it was complete decadence and <laughs> indulgence but it was just wonderful it was so nice not to have to cook or make sure. the bed yeah exactly it was just lovely it was a real switch off so um we definitely came away feeling fully rejuvenated if a little stuffed <laughs> no there's nothing wrong with that every so often yeah so so that was really nice and um and we ventured to Harrogate, which uh, I hadn't been to before, and visited the famous Betty's. And I'm sure... Oh, yes. Well, you know, um, have you been to Betty's? That is the question. So, yeah, uh, Betty's was was very, very lovely. Um, and uh, then we journeyed back. So it was it was very, very nice. I um, once did a TV show in in um, Harrogate on the big, big park there. And... Um, the dog, who was part of the series, a children's series, it was called Benny, um, was supposed to be male. Um, but in fact, it was female. And it was a, sto a story about a dog, a male dog, for children set in Harrogate. Um, and they got a female dog. And the dog and the female dog was in season. Oh. And so it was un. Uh, just absolute rolling chaos. We couldn't we we couldn't even move because we, she, this dog was always surrounded by other dogs, um, and it was like the most fundamental mistake. The dog's called Benny. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I don't know any female Bennies myself, but they do say there is that cliche: never work with animals and children. 
Um, but I mean, <laughs> I always do. <laughs> yeah, you always do because, of course, Di, you are a, a writer, a writer for children's children and well across the board, really. But I, most of my publications, there are, a, I think there are about two hundred. I mean, this goes back quite a, you know, a lot of years. Um, I've, I've published over two hundred books. But at the moment, I'm writing books um, aimed at, um, it's a women's market, um, the sagas that are set during World War II. So that's taking up all my time at the moment. Um, but I have written a book recently uh, for children, which is only on sale in Walsingham. It's called Pilgrim Cat. Um, and it's about um, a sweet little pussycat that loves food um, and befriends the pilgrims in Walsingham who are a constant turnover of different nationalities and different groups visiting from all over, well, from all over the world, but particularly from all over the nation because they they come by the busload every week. And this cat becomes the pilgrim's cat and eats every variety of food known to man and then is eventually detoxed by the nuns who just give her proper food and proper clean water i love that <laughs> detoxed a detox cat by nuns <laughs> so di is it too hard a question to ask do you have a favorite out of those 200 books that you've that you've written mm, i don't think so um my favorite character is bob the builder um and because i wrote on for bob um, as a television series. I'm not the creator, by the way. Otherwise, I'd be sailing around the Mediterranean in a yacht. Um, I was one of a team of writers. Um, but my, I love that character, Bob, and especially when Neil Morrissey was chosen to do the voiceover. That character became really, really vivid in my mind. Um, so I want to say the Bob books are my favourite because I wrote a lot of them because they were adapted from scripts. Um but actually, they're not because BBC Worldwide wanted them pitched at a level which I didn't agree with. Um, the series is aimed at under fives and they were pitched at sort of rising five. And because I used to teach infant children, I knew they were the wrong, I just knew they were the wrong pitch. And I kept saying, can we just bring it down a bit, bring it down a bit? And they wouldn't. So they're not my favourite books, but they have sold globally. So, um, uh, you know, on one level, the name itself sells, but they should be my favourite books, but they're not. So what is it about the character, do you think, Bob, Bob, Bob the building? Which he's is... just daft as a brush. Um, I mean, he's just, I love him. He's just, oh, he'll do a favour for anybody and then he gets in the muddle and then he doesn't know what day it is. And then Wendy says, all right, Bob, I'll do it. I'll sort it out. He's just such a great character. And as I say, because after meeting Neil Morrissey and hearing the voice records, I just thought this is a gift to any writer. You know, it, it, it's just a gift to be able to have that voice and that that incredible generosity and warmth. I find it really hard to listen to Neil Morrissey or to see him actually in television series because he's always a baddie now. You know, he's always sinister and a bit sneaky and underhand and a bit pervy. Whereas, you know, he was like like a little shining knight of a builder, a bad builder, but 
Well, I have to say, I haven't, um, surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, I should say, I haven't really seen very much of Bob the Builder, but I might just have to uh, Dip check into him it. out now. Yeah, exactly. Every now and again, just to be reminded that, you know, we, we're all human and actually being daft as a brush is uh, often a very, a very universal experience. I wouldn't like to be married to him. <laughs> wouldn't like to be Wendy. No. no. And of course, we're talking about writing today because we're absolutely delighted to be joined by Christina Cooper. And you will remember Christina Cooper from our first series of Women Together and her wonderful brief encounters, um, which, uh, you know, were just her stories, her testimonies of these encounters with the Holy Spirit, reminding us all that the Spirit is active in our everyday lives. He's not some far distant entity who doesn't get involved um, I think Christina is with us now. Hello, Christina. Hello. Hello, Genevieve. Oh. Hello, Di. Hi. Hi. Nice to hear your voice. How yeah. are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. As you say, the weather is great now, isn't it? I'm sweating. Before I was freezing, but today, oh, we're never satisfied, are we? We're never satisfied. There's always something to talk about. But And I think you're... Um, so. Christina's calling into the studio today and I think you're uh, you're based in London, is that right? That's right, Clapham area, yeah, near Clapham Common, which has been a bit of a lifesaver during the lockdown. Well, it's, it's I think I know every blade of grass now. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably even hotter in London, I would imagine, as well. The main reason we asked Christina to come on the show today is to discuss her new book, the little witch who wanted to be good, and uh, I have actually already bought a, a copy of the book for my uh, for my niece, who's uh, six year old, who, who's six years old, um, and she's been enjoying that very much. And I know that our lovely producer Helena has also bought the book for one of her sons as well. Um, and, and that's what we're going to be uh, discussing. And uh, I think one of the uh, the very interesting things about the book is that she is subverting the genre mm. uh, and we're going to be talking to Christina about this um, very very shortly but uh, the way that um, and actually Di being a writer yourself I mean language uh, the way we use language um, but Christina mentions uh, you know there's a whole lingo now um, for example you know how the young ones I'm afraid I'm not I'm not very hip but if you say something's good you talk about it being sick <laughs> Oh, you know, and Christina, you were commenting on uh, the use of the word wicked and, you know, that these yes, yeah, the, the, yeah. these words are, are all used now to, you know, to to describe. Positive. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And you do think, goodness me, how do we respond to that as as Christians? Because I think it's very easy as Christians to just absorb the culture that that we're in rather than taking a step back and say, hang on a minute, should we? Should we be engaging in this language and and what does it say about our belief in the world? No, precisely. I mean, that was in a sense what inspired me because I was concerned that if you think about it, say the word goody two-shoes, that's like a really negative thing to say. And it's it's like if you aspire to be good or you do good, you're either phony or um you know, you're you're wet. You know, it's a sort of it's not like a bold word, whereas like wicked and bad are kind of like dynamic words. And that's why they've taken on this connotation. And it's even like Christianity is seen as either just something that's judgmental or a bit wet. 
you know, it's not seen as something that is dynamic and good in the truest sense of the word, you know. So that was part of my my thing um, for wanting to, particularly for children, because they're growing up in this. Because, you know, I grew up in, when it was a different culture, so I know it, but I know the difference. But for young children, how do you, you know, get, get back to basics, really? So... That's so true, Christina. And uh, and I, I was thinking about this, as you said, the way that goodness is often seen as a bit boring, basically. And um, I was thinking, I was also thinking about how you, because you, you, you wrote for a newspaper. I mean, that was really for your for your career or it was it was a magazine more specifically for 35 years and that was part of that was a magazine called the good news is that right for that's the ca- right catholic that's right. charismatic yes. renewal yes. yes that's right yeah no and the ethos of the magazine was basically to tell the good news that's happening because in a sense a p- uh, newspapers and magazines they do need drama and human interest but usually it tends to be once again negative things that happen but as long as you have a kind of an arc where obviously you need to have drama, but often people's stories with God can be amazing. You know, people whose lives are changed and that can give people hope because if you just keep on talking about how terrible the world is, um, you know, it can be, it is terrible, but there's no hope. And whereas if you tell people stories of, you know, how something bad might have happened, but how they turned it around, because I think as Christians, we believe in the resurrection. So um, the the ethos of, of good news really was to tell those stories. So we might talk about drug addiction, but we talk about how someone came through or, you know, if it was crime, how somebody converted um, or healing, you know, that stories of healing. Um Christina, how did you get involved in editorial publishing? What was the way? It was straight out of university, or what? Uh, no, no. Um, I initially, I actually wanted to go into television production, and uh, it's very competitive, and oh, I yes. didn't really have a, have enough experience. And so I was told, you know, you should do a secretarial course. So I did a secretarial course, and. Uh, as I said, I was planning to go into into TV, uh, but the job I went for, I signed up for an agency, and they the woman there I remember recommended women's magazines. She said, "Oh, that's a much better lifestyle, uh, much more. It's kind of creative, and uh, why don't you try that?" And of course, it just happened that she had a a job going that was the PA to the editor of Over Twenty One. Oh. So um, I took this job, and they were great at the women's magazine. Very, it was a lovely atmosphere, very witty, and um, they were very open, really, to promoting other women. And they, even though I was the secretary, uh, I was, you know, offered little opportunities to write things. And I found I really enjoyed it. And um, whenever I had any uh, sort of encounters with people in television, they always seemed, you know, very, very harassed compared with the the people in the women's magazine. And I realised that I'm not very good with nerves, you know, and I thought, you know, I'll probably spend my time crying or else I'll end up being really shouty. So I thought, actually, I think I prefer writing. And I always had written, you know, when I was a child, I'd written plays and yes, things. Yes, I've, I've, read, I've read that when you were in your background. But um, did you, did you, in fact, I only ask this question because this <laughs> is, this is something that I always did whenever I was working, whatever I was doing, um, I'd always be writing a story. Um, and so 
you know, I'd, 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 I'd use the break time or lunch time or something to just nip off, you know, into, I don't know, um, well, I didn't even need to go away. I just needed a notepad and pencil. Did, did that happen to you? Were you always sort of like a running story going through your head? Um, I was not initially, but I, I would say I always was a storyteller. In, in our family, we are storytellers. And so everything that happened to me uh, became a story. So it wasn't like I was writing them down always, but uh, I would, you know, just recounting encounters that happened you know, just normal things that happened. I mean, I'm not even the best storyteller in our family, but we just had that culture that mm. everything became a story. Uh, and when I wrote articles, I was always looking for the story angle of mm. it. You know, I wasn't really interested in news. I was interested in human interest and personalities and yes. the detail of things. Um, but uh, but as I said, when I was a child, I tended to have a notebook and write things down. But I wouldn't say that I was always writing stories. I, I, over the years, I have, but not. I don't think to the extent that you, you're talking about. I, that rings a bell because when, when I was a, a little girl, I, was, I used to sit on the stairs and write stories and get completely carried away. And my mum worked in the canteen for the um, local newspaper Anyway, she, she read this story that I'd written. Of course, she being my mum, she thought yeah. it was fabulous. And it was um, it was set in Venice. It was a dreamy, romantic story. I'd never been to oh. Venice. I'd never been out of Bolton, never mind Venice. Um, and the next thing I knew, the paper, the daily paper came through. And I was sitting, I don't know, I was just sitting, uh, getting ready to have tea or something. And I looked at the paper. My story was wow. sitting there in the paper. Wow. And it was, well, no, I didn't want that. I mean, it was my secret. <laughs> and then I went to school and everybody said, I didn't know you'd been to Venice. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'd never been to Venice. I made it up because I saw a, a Rose's chocolate advert. Um, oh, wow. It was all based on this brilliant. gondola. Um, but of course, typical, you know, mother who adored yes. absolutely everything that you did and thought you were a genius she got it published <laughs> no I think that's I think it's so important to have that as well to have because my mum was like that as well whatever I wrote she thought it was brilliant yes but my but my father was a sort of lecturer and I always wanted his approval so oh, yes. my mum would say it was brilliant and I would take it to my dad and he would then get out his red pen and kind of correct it and I remember there was a seminal moment when I was about 12 or 13 and I it was just a school essay that I'd written about a storm and I'd used loads of adjectives and I thought it was brilliant and my mum thought it was brilliant and I took it to my dad and he just said wanting his approval and he said Christina, this is full of cliches. Oh, no. I would have hated that. I would have hated that. <laughs> you, you, you need to write from your experience. Otherwise, you'll write what you've seen on television or, you know. Yeah. And it was just, I was absolutely devastated. Mm. But I would say that it was this turning point in my life as a writer mm. in that I always, so I always write, try and write very honestly, you know, with, with my, with the children's stories, perhaps, you know, this, this little witch, perhaps slightly differently because it's a children's story, but, but um, with other things that I write, that it's, I really try and write truth because I find that truth, if you can be as honest as possible, that that somehow touches people. Mm. 
you know, mm. that, uh, and I try and use as little adjectives as possible <laughs> because just because, um, you know, of that experience, really. Just right, that, that's so interesting. I write, I, I write quite a spare style. You that's, know, that's I really. Yeah, no, I really admire people who can write, you know, you've got the Brontes and, you know, you've got people who can write in an imaginative way from that point of view. But uh, I'm sort of more of a journalist, oh, I think. I see. And yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that was probably how, 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 how it started. But, there are but it, other um, brilliant series about witches, like The Worst Witch, which has been televised. And the one I always really liked was Esmeralda, um, The Witch's Cat, which is quite an oh, old... Yes. Oh, it's darling, that book. It's quite an old-fashioned book. Um, but they're all... They're, I mean, they're all seen... Esmeralda does have her darker moments, but the worst witch is... Um, she's a very good good, good witch. I mean, and she's um, she goes about doing good. And, I mean, did, did the, any of those witch stories influence you when you were a child? No. Well, no, I remember there was, I thought it was kind of Gobelino, the witch. Oh, I love was, that I, one, yeah. Yes, so I, mm. my dad read that one. But uh, I can't say that I had a particular interest in witches. Mm. That the, the reason why I sort of set this particular book, um, it was actually to subvert it because I was a little bit concerned. Because I remember I came across one story, just, I think I was just, I can't even remember why, but it was, I was just devastated. It was about a witch and she fell in love with a wizard and he just like went off and left her. And that was the end of the story. And I was thinking, that's awful because it's mm. sort of children need a happy, a happy ending, even if their own lives are not happy. Mm. They don't need something, you know, they don't need an unhappy ending. Um, and so, Anyway, so then I was thinking this about this thing of how can I make goodness cool, and so I thought I need to set it in a in a, a kind of a world where to be good would be considered rebellious, and so I used the witch genre of sort of I suppose it would be almost like 17th century witches, you know, where they turned milk sour. So the traditional fairy tale understanding of a witch being in a way an emblem of evil um, and darkness and but I kind of made them slightly humorous because so they're not too dark for the children um, but the, then the idea is that little Esmeralda is considered naughty by being good and so and each story has a, a theme so some of them are quite big themes about things like self-image and stuff and others are about tidiness you know just kind of normal things so for example uh one one of them you know esmeralda tidies up at the beginning she gets told off you know i've been to your bedroom and it's an absolute disgrace i've never seen such a tidy bedroom in all my life go up and untidy it. So then there's a bit of observational comedy about un the things that we do to make an untidy room and how, so she kind of is obedient <laughs> to her aunt, but she's saying, well, I like it being tidy because I can find things and it makes me feel peaceful. And so it's, so as well as the more serious things, there's like little things about behavior, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, as well and it's it's just that to be good is fun you know it's because I think particularly today um, 
people don't, duty is not something that inspires people. Everyone is looking for fun. And in actual fact, I think if you do serve people and you love people and you work together, actually you are happy and you do have fun, you know, but it's, people don't realize that and they think it's all about you know, owning the latest trainers and, um, you know, having things. And then that's going to make you miserable. So the poor children end up being miserable Mm. because it's, they would need more and more. And if you don't have those things, whereas serving others and being good and creating that sense of joy and service, you know, it's what it's the kingdom of God, really. It, by doing that, they will experience joy and happiness. No, it's, you know, a, really, so, it's a really clever angle, really, really clever and, and subtle. But how did you manage to get it published? Because it's quite a hard sell. Oh, well, well. I did. So I tried uh, different ways. And in the end, I just thought, right, I'll self-publish it. Um, I tried sort of, I, uh, when I got the idea, I thought, I think it's funny, but will kids find it funny? Mm. So I did trial it with children at a local school, you know, before it went into, you know, before I had it printed. And the kids absolutely loved it. So that made me realise you know, it wasn't just a vanity project, you know, children would enjoy it. Um, And then because of my job, uh, I I sort of, I suppose I was quite well networked. Yes. And initially I thought maybe I might just do it for the family because as I said, it's a project I started 20 years ago and my niece was the one who actually did the illustrations. And I thought, I just need to do this book and finish it, even if it doesn't go to the wider audience. So I thought even if I just have 100 copies published. But then what happened was that um, at last Christmas, I just thought, oh, okay, I'll make a little flyer. And before I was printing it, I'll send it out to the people I know and see, you know, if anybody might be interested in it. And so I sort of had, did pre-sales of about 250 50 something books and I thought okay and that actually paid for the printing of the thousand so so um so I suppose I've uh sort of sold or given away about 500 now can I ask um Mm -hmm. if you could explain to anybody out there who wants to self-publish briefly how you do it because I think it's quite complicated (laughs) well well, I suppose uh, once again I was lucky. There's uh, uh, Good News Books, uh, who uh, yes. are, are friends that they stock books, but they also sort of help people to publish them. So, uh, but there are if you go on the internet, there are these companies that do it. But Good News were very good. So basically, they did the layout for me mm. and the, the formatting, and uh, so that side um and then uh mike goldsmith who is a uh, and also a friend of mine he's a print buyer so i just so i i mean good news books do have a relationship with um a printer that does short runs you know so mm-hmm. if you only wanted like 200 they have a, a relationship with the printer and does who does that but once it went to the thousand because obviously the more copies you have done the lower the unit cost is exactly, for the book. Yes, yes. Um, and so because if you only have 100, each book will probably cost you, you know, five or six pounds yes. just to, 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 just for the printing. Whereas if you have a thousand done, you know, the unit cost is like one pound 50 or mm-hmm. something. Um, and then obviously you have to have the layout and, and, and other things. Um, and uh, so to be honest, that side 
I think self-publishing, I would say it's actually relatively easy to get it printed. The most difficult thing if you self-publish is the promotion. Exactly. Because, exactly. because mm. even if it's a good book and people love it, how do they find out about it? Mm. And um, as I said, I, I did really well at the beginning and I sort of sold about 250 just through my contacts and people were saying, oh, I'll take five copies. And some people really got the vision. I think because they could see it wasn't, um, it's in a way evangelistic. Uh, it's, if I'd written, because I was actually thinking of also doing a serious book about culture and stuff. I think if I'd done that kind of book, um, I wouldn't have had the same response. I mean, some people probably would have got it, but I wouldn't have had people say buying five copies or two copies to give away. Um, and I think it's it's creating a network. You have to create a network. I mean, I have managed to get it in um, like a local shop. I just literally went in with the, the book and said, you know, um, and I've given away quite a few complimentary copies. And because I had a thousand done and so the unit cost was low, yes. I could go to... Um, you know, send it to some schools, you know, um, and to see if they might be interested in it. Um, so it's a very hands-on process, isn't it? Um, it is, it, you yeah. Can't, it's not like just giving the baby away to the publisher and saying, off you go. Um, yeah, no. And then you wait, you know, you wait to get feedback. Um, it, you, it, you're, you're following that baby all the way, really. Sorry, were you going to ask a question? No, no, no. I was just, I mean, yes, there are lots of... Um, because uh, things I I will ask, but I can I can hold on. <laughs> no, after, uh, over to you. Um, no, I, I was just wondering, Christina, um, with the with the book, uh, because I know it's not overtly Christian, but I I, right. I just wonder, do you think people would sort of guess it was written by by a by a Christian? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, as I said, basically, there's, I had, do have God in the in the promise because initially I had Esmeralda joining the Brownies, but the Brownies now have quite a secularist uh, sort of feminist um, agenda, I would say, and they have taken God out of the Brownie promise. And it's, I don't know, something about, you know, developing yourself or instead of you know, some of the same thing. And I thought, I don't want that. I want the old brownie promise uh, and having God in it. And then uh, my niece said, oh, they're like a brand. So you better make sure you get permission. And then I realized, you know, and, they, and it was a brand and it would, I'd have to have a contract. And I thought, oh, no, no, forget this. Mm -hmm. So that's why I created um, a new organization called the Readies, <laughs> so ready to help. And then so I could create my own uh, sort of pro ready promise, which is just I promise to be kind and good and generous, etc. And I do mention God in, in that brownie promise, but I don't have any other mention of God in it. But I would say that the, the ethos is Christian, you know, because um, I know I've had, there's a couple, I did uh, send it to uh, someone who's involved in homeschooling and I thought they might like to promote it, but they were just very, the fact that it was a witch who was the heroine, you know, they were just, you know, were really against that idea at all. So I understand for some people, um, you know, and really in a way it's aimed at people who are not Christian 
because obviously people who are Christian, you know, they can read Bible stories to their kids and things like that. But but um, it's it's for those who who are really into witches and who the danger is they might go on to spells and things. Uh, whereas with my uh, little witch, she is wanting to do good. And so the idea is instead of going along that way, so although there are spells, um, Esmeralda herself is not, whenever she does a spell, it doesn't work out. You know, for example, like one of the ones is I'm showing how even supposedly good spells are actually bad. So, for example, she finds a book that, that of spells that belong to Snow White's stepmother and, uh, you know, how to look beautiful. And her little friends have uh, obviously issues the way all women do, you know, even children now, you know, one's got red curly hair and freckles and one's got sticking out ears and they decide they want to look like princesses. And so she does a spell on them and they do, you know, long blonde hair and big blue eyes and, you know, the sort of stereotypical things. And then when they go and they're delighted, but when they go home, nobody recognizes them. And then they come rushing back and they decide maybe they want to do continue to look the way they were before. So it's, you know, so although there are spells in it, it's I'm never promoting spells or, or interest in witchcraft. It's actually promoting interest and in being a ready and helping people and what fun it is to you know, do the washing up together and bring joy to people who are suffering and, you know, that type of thing. If you're just tuning in now, you're listening to Women Together on Radio Maria England and I'm joined uh, by Di and also Christina Cooper, who is discussing her book, The Little Witch Who Wanted to Be Good. And if you have something to say about this, maybe you would like to be a writer and we have two writers here today, so it's the perfect opportunity to get in touch. Or perhaps you as a parent have a view on giving your children material which mentions things like witches perhaps you're not comfortable uh, with the Harry Potter books for example but if you want to have your say then we would love to hear from you and you need to text or whatsapp 07502385010 Christina I, I also feel as well with my nieces I've got three uh, nieces and just their imaginative play. And also when I remember myself when I was a little girl, I loved I loved anything that was sort of, you know, adventure led and sort of a bit supernatural, pretending that you had special powers and that sort of thing. But I think that deep down, we all sort of want to be the hero or heroine of our own of our of our own story. Um, and actually going back to uh, the importance of Christian uh Christian stories is that quite often I hear the most incredible tales and I honestly believe that following God um, is going to take you on a real adventure mm -hmm. like like you have never been on before. Like he is going to push you out of your comfort zone. He is going to teach you what it means to be the hero or heroine in your own life story. And I think that really touches at the heart of, of what it means to be human. Mm, I, no, I agree totally. I mean, I know when I was a child, I always wanted to have an exciting, interesting life. And in fact, uh, when I sort of really gave my life to God, uh, 
my life has just been so exciting and interesting because before I used to think religion was like boring and going to mass and sitting and everything was so boring. But when you realize that it's about a whole way of life, it's not just about going to church, that's part of it. But it's this idea that, you know, God in the universe is with you and he wants you to do amazing things. And with his help, you know, you can do amazing things, things that you didn't think that you would be able to do, you know. So I've had an extremely varied and interesting life, which I attribute to God because God has been God who's asked me to do these things, you know. But also within uh, with, within that context of, of spirituality and um, faith, you also inherit um, either, you know, cradle Catholic or it doesn't really matter – but you inherit an absolute treasure chest of stories. And, no. and you, I, I, I mean, there's the Bible and the New Testament. But I, I also mean over and above that, the pageant mm. of the Christian year where, I mean, we just had the visitation. Um, I mean, what a story that is. You know, Mary mm. goes pregnant, you know, in a bit of a daze to visit Elizabeth, who is, you know, in her terms, pretty old, and she's pregnant with a baby she thought she'd never had. I mean, the backdrop to that story has always fascinated me. I always imagined, did she go by a camel? Did she go by a donkey? <laughs> you know, did, did Joseph yeah. go with her? You know, did she say, no, you look after the house. I'll get on with it, visiting Elizabeth. Yeah. But but then you go on to, you know, like just the, just the, the rhythm of the, of the Christian year. It's just so rich in fabulous stories and not, mm. not even to mention the saints. Um, yeah. So... All of this is 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 a gift, you know. It's it's mm. it's part of the package that is is given to you, um, and is full of um, treasures. The main thing that worries me is, having said all that, is publishers will not, as you've just said, will not touch anything that has God in it. If you you know you can actually. Mm angle it so that you're teaching children about um, Buddhism or the Jewish faith uh, and that's multicultural uh, so that goes under that heading but to have a story that's entertaining um, mm. and and brings God Christ Jesus the Virgin Mary that that would go down like a lead balloon you could not that- as you know you know you could not get it through the door. No, no, it, it is that. That's what I'm saying. I, I realized, but then that's why I thought in the end, okay, because initially I was thinking, oh, well, if I kind of sell a few books, maybe a publisher would take it on, you know. But then I was thinking, actually, maybe the fact, the way it has happened, this is maybe more part of it because you're actually creating a movement and a network. And the people who were like helping me to sell the book were feeling part of something themselves. And I thought, actually, maybe it's better that it's like a slow burn and you're you're creating an alternative culture who of Christians who are saying, we're not going to do it the way that the world is doing it. We're mm. going to do it a different way because it's even the way that you publish, the way that you, like I've given away a lot of books. And I thought, you know, if, if it was a publisher, they wouldn't allow me to do that. 
Do you know what I mean? Because it would, they would have their own agenda of who you'd send it to. So, for example, I have given some books away as promotional copies, but I've also given some books away just um, like the cleaner in my block of flats, mm-hmm. you know, and because I realize it will make him feel chuffed that he knows somebody who's written a book. <laughs> yes, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you know what I mean? And it feels like you're, sh- and he was telling me that his mother has read it, you know, and it just like, and then if there are, say, children who can't afford to buy a book, you know, mm-hmm. that one, because as long as I've paid my costs, you know, okay, it would be nice to make some money, but as long as I don't lose money on it, do you know what I mean? If it can mm-hmm. help people. And as I said, just creating a, um, you know, like a network of people. I've got like a website, uh, a friend of the son of a friend of mine has even like created a website. Now he has, you know, kind of drifted away from the faith, <laughs> but because he wanted to do a website, you know, just to, for, for creativity's sake, you know, he did it for free, but then we had to have discussions. And what was interesting was he said, oh, what do you want to call the website? And I said, well, I don't know. I suppose the little witch who wanted to be good. And he was saying, oh, but what, what is the next book going to be called? And he was the one, which was fascinating. He said, oh, well, why don't we call it the Reddies Club? <laughs> you know, great. because because mm. you don't want to be, because in a sense, he knew I wasn't wanting to promote witchcraft. I was wanting to promote the Reddies, you know, to, to ready to help. So, so even the dialogue I had with him about you know, talking about faith issues gave me an opportunity to talk to him about it. And I, I was in the process of I'm changing my um, service provider for the internet. And I was talking to this guy and we were ended up talking about the book. You know, he was the salesperson and he yes, was interested. Yes. So I think it's this thing mm-hmm. that, and I've realized it's, I think we have to, you know, Publishers and mainstream publishers are not going to do stuff with God. But I think that, like, obviously, you're really talented at, at writing and with this experience is that I think we have to believe that in our own, you know, if we've got something to say, that God actually does want us to say it. Mm. And maybe we can't use the world system. We have to create our own system. And in the process, the kingdom will happen even through the promotion of something. Do you know what I mean? And I do, the way we do yes. it, the way we yeah. do it, you know, it's more, it's harder work, but, but, you know, as I said, I had to go, when I went into the local shop and I was sharing the vision, you know, the people in the shop is an educational children's book, sh- you know, toy shop. And they thought it was great. Do you know what I mean? But, but everybody, they- everybody loves the story. I mean, it's the yeah. best seductive um, way forward. Every everybody loves a story, and as you you've just given a great cross section of all the people, you know, shops, cleaners, you know, DIY service providers. Everybody, it's it's almost like you can start a story, and you can see people going a little bit dreamy. Um, it's, they want to be um, entertained. It's divertimento, you know, just to have that that. Exactly. And, we and never stop sense, being children, I think. We want exactly, a story. Yeah. Exactly. And also me, the little person trying to get my book out there, that in itself is a story. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, there's you. It's not like you're some, you're not a Harry Potter, you know, JK Rowling with a big sister, you know, although she has started, no doubt, just, you know, kind of struggling. But it's, 
that the little person trying to kind of get it out there, that kind of touches people. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They, they like the idea of it the is, person yeah. because it makes them feel maybe I could do that too. Because like one of my neighbors, he was saying, oh, you know, the fact that I'd written the book and, you know, published it myself he said oh you know he was on he was on the captain on the river and he had loads of stories and people had said he should write a book and you know and it kind of made him think oh maybe that would be possible for me too you know I agree and everybody's got everybody always says the minute you say what you do they say I could write a book and I often think it's not that actually that easy because I mean you have to it's not just the it's not just the the idea and it's the plot line it's developing the characters it's spacing you know the adventure my my editor always says um say don't tell so you know I can I can I can actually put in a paragraph and she'll say that's a chapter and I think, how can it possibly be a chapter? And actually, when I break it down, it is a chapter because you're not actually saying the sentences. But when you put the sentences in, then you've got the characters interacting and then another part of the story develops. So it, it it's a very big, big, big project writing a book. And, you know, my my room is full of wall charts and um you know the, the the arc of the story and where it peaks where different characters yeah. pov i mean it's so when people say i could write a book i always say yeah. oh oh good <laughs> what advice <laughs> would would you give to people because you know it, as you were saying there's there's quite a romantic idea of oh maybe maybe there's a novel in me somewhere um, and and I just imagine that people, somebody might start with the best of intentions and then obviously just be completely overwhelmed and it just, but if someone feels that actually there is something there or it's something they would like to explore or they're really good at writing or they're creative and imaginative, you know, what are sort of little ways that they can sort of, they can practice and hone and just see if, if there's more there for them? I think I think I agree with with Di. It, it is people say. I think you should always encourage people to do it. I think because don't put them off. I mean, I think that. Uh, but it does one that it takes perseverance, you know. And people often say they'd like to do a story, but it's actually a lot of hard work. Um, and you know, they probably would lose in a lot. Most people will lose interest. Um, I think as well, you have to be prepared to I mean as I said that's why it was good I had my father you know for for other people to say that they don't like it and not to be so invested personally in something that if people don't like it you take it personally Mm -hmm. and I think that can be a little bit of a of a danger and also not to um I mean I think that anybody can write you know, write your book and print 100 copies, you know, probably cost you 500 quid or something to print it, you know, for family members. And then the satisfaction of you've actually done it. But if you want other people to read it, um, then I would say you probably need to, before you get it printed, if you really, it's not like you just want to do it for for your own sake, you need to get somebody else to read it Mm -hmm. um, and trial it you know, and um, 
and then see what they say. You know, because I said, even with the children's book, I, I really enjoyed writing it. But before I went to the thing of actually having it printed, I did trial it with quite a lot of children to find mm. out if they liked it. Because if they didn't like it, there'd be no point in printing it. Absolutely. You, know, you um, can still write it, but not have it printed. Yes. But I mean, if you're really serious about really, you know, you want to do, you know, take that that uh, interest a little bit further or that skill and develop it further. I mean, there are, there are courses you can attend um, and some of them, you know, are online. Some of them are often local. Uh, you could form your own writers group. Like, um, what was the one? Uh, the Guernsey uh, oh. Potato Peel um, yeah. Writers Group um, and Readers Group. So th there's that way, and that's that's just small and, you know, uh, supportive. But then you can take it a step further. I mean, there's creative writing courses. The, the most famous one is um, UEA, where some brilliant writers would come out of that. Um, or you could get involved with your local uh, drama group um, and perhaps suggest you do... I mean, I've, I've done this, where you do some adaptations from the classics... Um, um, there are you've got to be quite pushy. Uh, you can't be a you can't be a, a a wilting violet, and and you've got to take the knocks because people will say I don't like it, you know. I, and and you've got to say okay, what can I do to make it to make you like it? How can I make it something you you might be interested in? I'll come back with it. Give me another. I'll do another sweep at it. Do you? I mean, I think I was going to say I think as well. It's particularly what you said about going to like a little writer's group where people read each other's stuff. Because the only thing is sometimes I know with my job before, people would like want to send me, you know, a book they've written and what could I have a quick look at it? Quick you know? the word. <laughs> Takes you all know? day. You know, and that it's too much work. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's I a do. sort of because because that is there isn't so you might do it for a particular close friend, mm. but you wouldn't just do it for anybody because they don't realize the amount of time it takes. Whereas mm. if you're in a little group where you're all reading each other's, you're invested in it because you're going to read their stuff, they're going to read your stuff and you're prepared to invest the time. But you have to be careful about you know, sending it to someone and just saying, oh, well, would you just have a quick look, you know, because... Yeah, there's um, no such thing as a quick look because then you have um, to give a an appraisal and then you have to give advice and then you have to be honest. Um, yeah. It's, it's quite, it's quite, it's hard work. It's also delicate because um, yeah. you don't want to put people off. I always mm. say to children when I used to do my um, writer, writer in schools, I used to say, because this is, this is a, uh, bog standard if you're writing a picture book for children it's 32 pages and so I always used to take in two page 16 pages folded over and I'd open it in the middle and that's the middle it's got a staple in it and I'd say that's the middle of the story page 16 so from 1 to 16 you've got to pace out that story and then you get to the middle and then from 16 to 32 you've got to bring it down and they loved that. They absolutely mm -hmm. got it because it was, mm -hmm. you know, absolutely graphic. Mm -hmm. And then I used to leave them all um, 16 pages of A4 folded in half and say, that's your book. Um, mm -hmm. And that was a real um, eye opener because it was accessible. And some that's of them brilliant. would just draw pictures and others would um, 
you know, write. And then I'd say, well, if you don't like writing, join up with that one there who can draw. And so the, the, it was wow. lovely, actually. So they all finished up doing something and taking something away with them. But that sort of sense of I'm halfway through the book is really yeah. hard because you can burn yourself yeah. out, especially yeah. children. Um, I've seen it over and over again. And my heart aches for them because it's like, oh, I've got to find you this. And then it's halfway through and I don't know what to write now. I finished. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's all about pacing, which is really hard for a child. Impossible, no. really. But to give them that that guide was really useful. No, Chris, that's brilliant. Christina, brilliant. if someone wants to get hold of your book, um, I think they can go to www.theredisclub.com. Am I, am I yes. right? That's right. And ready is spelt like read. So it's ready so it's ready to help and read so it's readies so it's r-e-a-d-i-e-s the readies club yeah. and christina would you like to lead us in prayer as we uh, come towards towards the end yeah sure sure so heavenly father i thank you for this uh wonderful opportunity to be with uh, genevieve and die and to discuss uh writing and uh, children's literature and I lift up to you all the children out there and I really thank you for each one of them and how precious they are to you and I just ask you Lord that uh, you would just um, inspire people to write wonderful stories for children that would uh, communicate the truth of the kingdom in their lives and would help them to know that the world is a good place and you're there to help them every step of the way. I just ask that you pour your spirit down on each one of us and on all the people at Radio Maria and what they do. And um, may your kingdom come through, through our work and whatever it is that we do. Right? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you very much. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our episode today. And next week, we are going to be joined by Elaine Cooper. And we are going to be discussing what is a Christian education and how can education contribute to human flourishing? Elaine Cooper helped found the Heritage School in Cambridge. And she talks about the inspirational work of the Victorian educationalist, Charlotte Mason. So we will be hearing from her next week but thank you so much christina for coming on one quick question on esmeralda how old is she in the book uh sort of about seven i suppose that, that it's i mean to be on all ages actually like the book i mean even my 80 year old spiritual director but um i guess you know that the target age would probably be like six to nine that sort of age and do you have any and um helena wanted to know because you, you did the brief encounters would you think about putting those into a book or do you have another writing project in, in, in mind now? Uh, well, it, it's takes, I have got another lot of Esmeralda stories, but I have to wait for my niece to kind of get around to illustrating them. Uh, and then also I've started another children's book called For Boys, uh, which I'm sort of developing and it's Sky and, and Big G, which is about, um, a little um, boy from a kind of West Indian background who's short and wears green tinted glasses and lives with his grandma uh, in the sort of inner city. And it's he does go to church, but he's 
the coolest guy in town because that's why I've done a sort of Caribbean background because they have much more of a kind of acceptance of church going as part of the culture and uh, it's but it's it's kind of once again it's funny and there's a different psychology that you need for boys you know good idea really good idea uh, uh, so he's cool he's Mm. cool and he always comes he's a bit naughty but he kind of comes up trump trump somebody told me it's a bit like tom sawyer I never actually read Tom Sawyer, but it's it's that's the kind. But as I said, I haven't kind of finished it yet. So good luck, good luck with that. Yeah, and once again, it kind of depends, really, because I think if God opens the way, then you know it's the right thing. Because you know, I don't necessarily have the finances at the moment anyway, and I need to see if the little witch really takes off or not. You know, kind of before you get on the next one, it's you know step by step. So it sounds like you can recommend The Little Witch for adults as well that, you know, we yeah, can all, yeah, yeah, no, lots all of learn people. something. Says, yeah, no, no. It's, well, it's, it's written for children, but it's written in such a way because of the humour and because of the inversion. You know, like Esmeralda gets expelled from school, you know, because in the lying class, you know, she's kind because of, they're taught how to lie in the lying class. And and then she interferes with children being bullied. And so she is, you know, considered a disruptive influence. But as I said, adults kind of find it funny as well. But I mean, it is a children's book. I can really see it being something that would work in a sort of theatre setting as well. Yeah, um, yeah. You I don't know, think I, it, even t- teachers could use it as a lesson thing because they mm. could act out because it's very, you know, it's it's a drama, a little drama. So they could do it. And then you can talk to the children about bullying or whatever, you know. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We have come to the end of our show, but it's been fantastic hearing uh, more about your work. And once again, people can go to your website, www.theredisclub.com to find out more. And we wish you all a good rest of week and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you and God bless. Goodbye. Thank you very much. God bless. Bye. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,